This is David Nage with my co-host Amanda Frankel. This is Baselayer, where institutional investors learn about crypto. Welcome back to Baselayer. This is David. We have Diogo Monica on the show today. Diogo, if you don't know him, was an early employee at Square where he led the platform security team and built the security infrastructure used by Square to move over $80 billion in an annualized volume. He has a bachelor and master's and PhD degree in computer science and has published several papers in peer-reviewed security conferences on the topic of distributed systems and information security and is the author of several patents in secure communications, encrypted hardware, and payment systems. We talked about Anchorage and about, there's a funny quote that he had on the TechCrunch uh, article where he called cold storage pirate custody. And so we talk about, you know, it's an amazing analogy and I, something I hadn't thought about, about how pirates used to store their treasures and with the maps and putting it into the ground. If you think of it, you know, while we have digital assets, when you have a lot of these assets in army bunkers in the Swiss Alps, it's not that far of a reach. And so it's an interesting conversation about the, the state of the state of storage. Uh, for those that are not as familiar and up-to-date on what's happening with custody and storage, we talk a lot about hot and cold storage and the differences there. And we really talk about why Anchorage was built and how they are using both uh, parts of hot and cold storage to create a really unique system. Uh, we also talk about the narrative of not your keys, not your Bitcoin, and some of the regulatory updates uh, in regards to qualified custodians. A great conversation, really one to take a listen to. And so please remember, nothing on Baselayer is investment advice. Please do your own research. On the flip side, you'll hear from our sponsor, and then you'll hear the podcast with Diogo. Enjoy. Today's family offices and hedge funds face a number of challenges when it comes to trading and managing their crypto portfolios. On the trading front, siloed liquidity, opaque execution, and questionable compliance deter entry. On the management front, spreadsheet and manual workflows are still the de facto solution. These infrastructure and usability problems, which have been long solved in traditional finance, still need to be addressed in crypto. Lumina has set out to solve these problems. Go to Lumina.app to learn more. This is David, and this is your new episode of Baselayer. I have Diogo Monica from Anchorage on with us. Diogo, how are you today? How's it going? Thanks for having me. Wonderful to have you. If you haven't been listening or following uh, some of the recent projects that have launched over the last year or so, uh, Anchorage, if I'm not mistaken, was in stealth for a while, but recently got some uh, PR in the beginning of the year and uh, very well uh, funded from some great investors, you know, people that family offices and high net worth individuals definitely know of. And so it's really a pleasure to have such a great team and a great project and a great company on with us today to talk about their company. Uh, it is around uh, the, the F, basically custody, um, but we'll definitely delve into more of those, uh, what's happening at Anchorage and what they have built over there. Diogo, if you could, you know, what we'd like to do is just give you a few minutes to talk about yourself. I know that you were at Square and Docker and a few other different places. If you can just 
a few minutes about yourself and about uh, Anchorage, and then we'll go into some questions and we'll find out more about Anchorage. Sounds good. Uh, maybe what I can do is I can give you the long story medium of how Anchorage came to be, which gives sure. you also a little bit of insight into my background. Sure. The story of Anchorage actually starts almost nine years ago when um, myself and my co-founder, Nathan McCauley, joined a company called Square uh, around the same week. So that was, uh, that was a pretty interesting coincidence. It really started what is now the path to Anchorage. Uh, I think interesting uh, of, of note is that before Square, Nathan was working on anti-reverse engineering. So think of it as, imagine that there's a tank uh, that gets left enemy, behind enemy lines, then you wanna make sure that the enemy doesn't actually extract intellectual property or actually is able to recover any sensitive keys or any sensitive software from this tank, then you need to actually do uh, black box and white box cryptography and really make sure that that code is uh, resistant to tempering So uh, in, in reverse engineering. So that was what he was working on before we met. And on my part, I was working on something that uh, wasn't particularly useful uh, 10 years ago, candidly, which was I was doing a PhD in computer science focused on distributed systems, uh, publishing academic papers and things like uh, Byzantine fault tolerance and quorum systems and Hashcash, which is the mechanism that Bitcoin uses for proof of work. Ten years later, there's a, a sliver of distributed systems called blockchain that uses all of these mechanisms and really makes uh, create something new out of it. And so that was when we met. So Nathan was coming out of anti-reverse engineering. I was coming out of a PhD um, in, um, in distributed systems. And so we met at Square and then we were incredibly early there. I think uh, we were around employees 45th and 47th. And over the next four years, really what we did was we built all of the underlying uh, security infrastructure that Square now uses to move over $80 billion a year. And that was uh, a really fun process. And it was really where kind of our, our partnership, uh, I like to say, forged in fire. So we, in particular, started by working on the little encrypted credit card reader that I'm sure that um, everybody has, uh, has used um, to, to swipe a credit card or to pay in, at a small merchant. We were involved in the design of the cryptography and the production of the readers in China. Uh, we actually have, are, are part of the patent uh, of the encrypted credit card reader. And that actually started from there. And that's actually the start of working on hardware systems, key management systems, having to deal with uh, very adversarial attacker models. And we then went out to create the rest of the infrastructure, the key management systems that are based on hardware security modules that really underpin all of the integrations in the banking infrastructure. And that secures all of these um, millions of transactions and, uh, and dozens of billions of dollars. And then the interesting thing was that after four years of, uh, of working together at Square and having a lot of success there, we were incredibly proud of what we had accomplished and wanted the opportunity to bring that security that we had built at Square to scale and to be used for more companies, uh, not only Square. And so that's why we ended up uh, joining Docker. We had the opportunity of uh, starting the security team at Docker. And uh, at Docker, we joined at a phase that, uh, I don't know if your, your listeners know what Docker is, but this is core container um, that it's a software container that gets used by modern infrastructure everywhere. And when we joined, Docker was being somewhat bashed in the media for containers not containing, so not being secure enough to be used in production systems. And then three years later, uh, after we were there, now our code is being uh, deployed on over half of all the cloud providers uh, out there to secure this underpinning of the IT infrastructure. 
Uh, in fact, if, if you use the internet today, it's very likely that at one point or another, there's a Docker container out there that has actually been serving that. And so we've been protecting a little bit of that transaction uh, for your day. And that's when um, when we really started getting into, into crypto. It was out of need. A lot of um, these crypto funds and family offices that were getting into the space started reaching out to us for us to help them with custody. And at that point, what we were doing was we were just consulting and helping them with cold storage. Uh, in fact, we're the maintainers of something that is called the Glacier Protocol, which is really the gold standard for uh, what Bitcoin cold storage uh, custody is for individuals. So people started asking us questions until it became immediately obvious that we didn't have enough hours in my day uh, or in our days to actually really deal with all the inflow. That's when we decided to create Anchorage. And part of the, the, the creation of Anchorage was this understanding that the needs of institutions are very different than the needs of individuals. And by actually consulting for these firms and really deeply understanding what they wanted, we wanted to create a platform that did not use cold storage and therefore did not have any of the drawbacks. And that was about a year and a half ago. So that's when we created Anchorage, fundraised from uh, folks like you said, Andreessen Horowitz, uh, from uh, Coastal Ventures, from uh, Hashtag Angels and a group of really, really amazing angel investors. And then now we are over 35 people. We have a product in market. Uh, we have some of the largest crypto funds um, on board and are continuously adding more clients. I actually saw that you had done an interview with TechCrunch where you described cold storage as pirate custody. <laughs> That's right, pirate custody. Uh, if, you, if you think about it, it's actually a pretty, a pretty good comparison. Uh, pirates in the 1700s, the way that they protected their treasure was by putting gold coins inside of, inside of treasure chests and then deciding an island to bury their treasure chests in and then creating a map to be able to allow them to go back to their treasure chest. And nowadays, we've somehow created the most digitally sophisticated um, assets and are following the same standard and the same patterns. Instead of gold coins, we have USB keys. Instead of uh, treasure chests, we have safety deposit boxes. Instead of islands, we are using mountains in Switzerland or, or whatever. And instead of actually having maps, we have these checklists that humans have to follow to get to the final destination. So it's actually, I believe, a really apt comparison. That is mind-blowing because the way that you just laid it out, it actually makes so much sense. When I saw that quote, I was like, really? Because, you know, everyone, you know, I, I think it's actually a good time for us to kind of dissect the difference between hot and cold storage. So, you know, coming from the family office world and spending the last few years trying to teach my peers about this. So, you know, as I've said on the show before, there was a time and place, you know, a few years ago, three or four years ago, where a lot of family offices were asking me, like, why was I looking into crypto? Why was I spending time focusing on Bitcoin? Why was I looking into the technology? And then after the retail run up in Q4 of 17, uh, when Bitcoin obviously hit 21,000, you know, it started to shift from, OK, why are you doing that to how do you do this? And so that shift, that paradigm shift to how started to address questions like custody. And so I remember in January of 2018, after the retail run-up, there was a presentation from someone, uh, a family office invited someone who had an exchange because obviously there's not enough exchanges in the world today. Um, and so, you know, this notion of kind of custody came into play and no one understood the difference between hot and cold storage. Um, and so obviously if someone like yourself, who is an expert in this space, you know, if you could, I know it's a little one-on-one and it's a little bit of a primer, 
But, you know, maybe it's a good time for people to understand the difference between hot and cold storage. And then obviously, as it relates to Anchorage, what you guys have built. Sounds good. Uh, I think I think we can start by basically defining where hot and cold came from. So hot and cold is a term that actually gets used by computer scientists to describe something called caches. So it describes how fast, think of it as how fast uh, a website, when you go to a browser and you and you enter google.com, how fast is that page return? How fast is it available? Is it a few milliseconds? Is it a few hundred of milliseconds? Is it seconds? Is it minutes? Does it need, does it get answered immediately or does it have to go to some backend system to actually go to a database and collect something that takes longer? So that's actually where originally the, the metaphor of hot and cold comes from. The, the purpose that people are using it for is to basically split between general purpose systems so imagine a computer uh, or a server online that has one of these bitcoin or ethereum keys and it, it has access to the private key directly people call that hot storage and that means that these keys are candidly irresponsibly connected to the internet and available in such a way that a compromise of this uh, application also compromises all the underlying crypto assets Cold storage, on the other hand, what people use this definition for is basically a human-based process that allows humans to follow a specific procedure in a checklist and go offline and collect USB keys or access specific offline computers and eternally quarantine hardware and really operate on these keys that have never been connected to the internet. And so you would operate in this to a mode in which some of your assets are hot for you to be able to transfer them very quick. And again, those assets are irrespons irresponsibly accessible to the outside and might actually be subject to hacks. And you have another portion of it, which is cold. And what that means is that it's, it's offline, only humans can access it. It is protected inside of safety deposit boxes and completely offline and not connected. That was the, that was the way that people had to cope with, uh, with custody for these assets when this, um, when this uh, space started to become popular. I do think the, the, unfortunate, the unfortunate reality of this is that since the space started with retail, the needs for retail are very different from, from the needs from institutions. And so hot and cold is basically the day one instinct. Any security engineer or expert, or even like if you're doing a security 101 course, uh, the first thing that your professor tells you is that the only secure computer is disconnected from the internet, surrounded in concrete, and dropped in the middle of the ocean. And that's day one to describe how hard these things are to make. But then you move on from that. And then you move on from that to learn how to do security, how to use cryptography, how to do composition of systems, how to use security in depth. So there's all of these other systems, because if everything had to be offline, then we wouldn't have the internet. And in fact, it's kind of interesting to point out the fact that there's basically nothing else out there like crypto assets that actually gets treated this way. And the only reason why this hot and cold economy is valid somewhat in, in uh, crypto assets is because all of these crypto assets so far have been held by individuals that don't need to actually move these assets fast enough, don't need to actually prove to, to auditors and to um, regulators that these keys still exist. And candidly, it was useful in a world where Bitcoin it was the only gimme town. With more crypto assets that do proof of stake and more crypto assets that require governance decisions, you cannot have these keys on offline. You need some kind of online key actively participating and you need a handoff process that should not be mediated by individuals. Having humans access the cold storage is in itself a vulnerability because humans are known not to be good at following checklists. Right. 
And so there's behavioral patterns. There's obviously issues. We, you know, how many times have I lost my keys in the last few years? Right. I'm not talking about my my cryptographic keys. I'm talking about my house keys. Um, <laughs> so, you know, people lose things all the time for sure, um, especially when you potentially have millions of dollars of assets on a USB stick. Um, that's not necessarily the best. So. Those are the two solutions that were presented in the beginning of this, as you said, the beginning of the the ecosystem really taking off in the last three or four years. And so as we have seen the maturation of that, and we're starting to see, you know, there are some institutions out there that are qualified custodians uh, and others that are trying to kind of marry this difference between hot and cold. You guys seem to be moving away from that um, and have your own kind of um, model and system in place. At a high level, uh, not going into the intricacies, how does it differ between what we've had to deal with for the last few years? Yeah, absolutely. So it really breaks this dichotomy of hot and cold. Uh, hot and cold means that somehow security uh, is uh, uh, is is a unidimensional component where you either shift it towards hotter and you rise the temperature and the security gets worse. And somehow, if you shift it towards colder, the security gets better, which is really a false dichotomy, right? That is not the only lever that you have to move. So what we've created is something that uses the best of uh, cold storage, which is the fact that there's no direct connectivity of a key directly to the internet or any public network, but also get some of the best things that you have with hot storage, which is the accessibility component. And so really what we've created is, uh, think of it as a crypto native solution. So it's a solution that was designed to ground up to serve institutions for the needs that they have. And so it allows us to have uh, safer access than cold storage. Cold storage security relies on human operations and human operations are inherently insecure. Think about surgeons, right? Surgeons are supposed to follow the same checklist every single time. And yet we have hundreds of thousands of deaths in the United States out of surgical mistakes and doctors really skipping a step or not doing the right thing. So Anchorage is the only custodian that really has solved this digital asset custody, eliminating the single point of human failures, but not succumbing to this um, to, to this hot storage and uh, the ex exposing keys in an online matter outside to the host. So we really pick the best of both worlds and have a system that is both safer than cold storage and accessible. And by being accessible, then this gives you advantages to institutions. It allows you to have, be faster. Because of our security model allows for clients' assets to stay accessible, our clients can move their assets within minutes of transaction approval, not within 48 hours or 24 hours. And the fact that it is connected, that also means that we can allow your assets to participate on on-chain governance and active participation protocols. So all of these this yield that is being generated by staking or mm -hmm. by doing governance decisions or actively participating in these protocols, now you actually get to get to participate and capture that yield. Yeah, that's been that's been a problem um, with some of the you know issues regarding cold storage and regarding governance and staking. A lot of missed opportunities there. So I completely agree with that for sure. So getting more into the the kind of the depths of Anchorage. So there's a quorum-based approval process where at least two members of the organization have to be there to give an approval of the transaction. And then there's behavioral uh, you know, kind of analytics that um, Anchorage is reviewing the validity based on the range of signals. So on the quorum-based one, it sounds, I know this is a little layman's and obviously I'm trying not to tie you to any other project, but <laughs> for people that might be more familiar with something like a multi-sig, 
is it kind of like a multi-sig process? Um, so going a little bit more into the quorum-based approvals. And then in terms of behavioral analytics, this is one that was interesting to me because you know, if I'm a family office or I'm an institution and all of a sudden, you know, over the last week or so, we've been talking as a team and we really want to take a bigger stake in Bitcoin. Um, and obviously, if you would have done that around the 3000 mark, you would have obviously done pretty well over the last few weeks. Um, you know, if I all of a sudden want to take a very large stake in Bitcoin um, and it's obviously an outlier, so if there's a bell curve and you guys are kind of putting majority of the behavior in the middle of the curve in the bell, and then obviously there are outliers, there's sigma one, sigma one out there, you know, how do you guys discern, you know, or how, what's the processes there so there isn't missed opportunities if it is outside of the behavioral patterns? So our behavioral analytics are not based on, think of it as uh, all the clients at large. In fact, they're, they're very specific per individual. We know how you behave. We know your patterns. You, we know who usually authorizes these transactions. We know a lot of metadata about these transactions and how they usually get approved. So we can actually get really good at reviewing and really judging for intent. And in fact, maybe one thing that is important to note is that when, when, you're, when you have a relationship with a custodian, the custodian is not just generating keys for crypto assets for you and storing those keys securely. The custodian is in fact, authenticating the intent or authenticating your instructions. And to be able to authenticate your instructions, the custodian must understand who you are. And so what we do that is incredibly differentiated is the fact that we have biometrics for authentication. We know who the user is behind the device. And we know also what the device is because we can do remote attestation. And out of all of this, we collect all of these signals that allow us to understand if the pattern of this specific user using this specific device matches pattern of this organization. And since we've know, and uh, as you mentioned, there's a quorum-based approval that really is uh, a mechanism that allows us to customize the policy that re to really reflect the organization's, um, the organization's structure. And so we know exactly who should be approving, who commonly approves, and we can actually very quickly get to more approvals and more confidence that this is the right thing to move. So think of it, all of these things. There's strong authentication. We know the device. We know the human behind the device. We know your pattern. And then there's no single, po single point of human failure because there's quorum-based approval on the client side and also on our side. And the automated review systems are picking up on all of these signals, all of this metadata, and automatically approving or flagging for risk review. And this is something that we've done in the past. We've done risk review and flagging behavior at Square. Obviously, at that time, it was for credit card payments and for actual deposits from merchants' accounts, but basically the same mechanisms and the same clustering tools and the same actually actual anomaly detection tools work very well here. And so I'd love to kind of, we've had people like Matt Walsh from Castle Island and others talking about key management. And then there's been people like Sharon Goldberg at Arwen that have talked about the narrative of not your keys, not your Bitcoin. What is your what is your opinion on not your keys, not your Bitcoin as it relates to the narrative and how people are, you know, kind of what is, delve into that a little bit more, dig into that a little bit more as you are obviously building a custody solution, you know, delve into this narrative of not your keys, not your Bitcoin. I'd love to hear your hot take on that. Absolutely. So the, the I think the most important thing for us to have in this new financial system is not necessarily your key and all your keys and all your Bitcoin it is actually more the permissionless nature of it. 
So you, what you want is you want anyone to be able to participate in the system and own their own keys. And so that's a choice. And I think the choice is the most important thing. I think what ends up happening is that this is a really hard security problem. And therefore, there's a natural tendency to, for companies to be created that specialize in helping you with the security. And so either you do and you choose and elect to do your own self-custody, in which case you're taking risks and you're also removing some risks, but you're also taking risk on your own. And you believe that you are better at doing this than a third party that you could actually rely on. Or you rely on third parties that do this and have a single focus like we do. Anchorage is solely focused on institutional custody and nothing else. We don't do retail. We solely focus on institutional custody. What this affords us is we can actually be um, two to three orders of magnitude safer than what you can actually deploy in-house. And therefore, now the calculus is, do you take ownership of this or do you delegate the responsibility out? But note, the important thing is that you still have the choice. And that's not true in the current financial system. And in this new financial system, the thing that we can't lose is this permissionless aspect of if somebody wants to come and compete with Anchorage, they can. There is no barrier of entry to interaction with the blockchain. If one of you wants to, or one, a client of ours, wants to take ownership of a percentage or all of their crypto assets, they can. And they can take it out and do uh, either diversifying the risk or keep someone to, to their own if they feel comfortable and if they know that Anchorage is the best solution and the most technically advanced solution to crypto, crypto assets, then they also go and choose that. But I don't think there's a competing... I don't see, especially in an institution, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. What I see is companies like ourselves really helping these institutions feel safer. And by them feeling safer, it actually increases the adoption in the space. Because if you feel safer investing, then you obviously will have more assets, participate more on these protocols and actively participate in these systems. So I do feel like players like ourselves do not detract from the ecosystem. They actually contribute and make the ecosystem thrive. And so talking about the world of custody, which for some is obviously not very sexy, but for you guys is you know, your bread and butter. And I think it is actually really important. Um, you know, we have seen more competition come into the space, you know, the likes of Coinbase and Bitco and Gemini and others out there. And so at the end of the day, you guys are running a business, you guys are running a company. And so you have to make money to be able to turn the lights on. You have to be able to generate some revenue. And there's been some issues in regards to more competition, equaling more kind of compression uh, on the kind of fees that you can make in terms of custody. Does that affect you guys? Or is that something that you guys, you know, are kind of noticing? Or are you noticing that, you know, obviously because you are different in regards to, you know, some of the offerings out there that are, we've talked about before, they're doing kind of this mixture of hot and cold you know, how do you guys feel about the kind of the fee issue as it relates to your building the business right now? What we found is that our clients have been asking us for a solution that is both safer, but faster and connected. So it allows them to actively participate, allows them to have access to these assets and not have to wait 24 or 48 hours for right. humans to walk around and is safer than cold storage. And what we found is that our clients are willing to pay for a premium solution and really come with a solution that is the, the best. And so what we've seen is that we have some of the best crypto funds and uh, just just technically sophisticated funds, VCs, family offices onboarding onto Anchorage. What's been happening is that folks like Polychain and Paradigm and A16Z Crypto, they run a very deep due diligence process when they're choosing a crypto custodian. And every time one of our clients 
is very deep and runs a deep due diligence process, what ends up happening is that Anchorage ends up winning that account. And what that means is that all of the people that know crypto best and understand the need for this safer solution, but that is faster and allow them to do asset productivity. So capture yield, vote on on-chain governance, really meet your fiduciary obligations, which you must if you actually have one of these assets, they're all choosing Anchorage. And so what's happening is that there might be over time competition and competition usually means that fees compress. What we're seeing is that our clients really prefer us and they're willing to pay a premium to come with a single best solution that allows them to be safer, that allows them to be faster, connected, and really be compliance friendly. We really interact deeply and integrate deeply with fund administrators and family and, um, and, um, and auditors that simplify the actual audit process that funds go through. And just that, there's a lot of value that is being added here. It is not just key generation and offline cold storage of keys. It is active participation. It is help, uh, deep integration, white glove service. So our clients are coming to us. Some of the single best clients in the space are choosing Anchorage because of all of these features and availability. So in one way, if you don't have a differentiated product, then of course your fees will compress. But what we've been finding is that our clients come to us for that differentiation. Right. And that makes perfect sense. And so I think one of the last kind of questions that I'd love to hear your opinion on is in terms of regulatory. So we've had a regulatory regime here in the States that has been, dare I say, accommodative because they haven't necessarily, you know, kind of tried to suppress the growth of this. They've tried to do a lot of listening. Um, Giancarlo and everyone else there have been trying to really listen to the ecosystem in the community. I've tried to talk to them. I've tried to be more accommodative, as I mentioned. And so as it relates to custody of assets, you know, what is your opinion on the state of regulatory affairs here in the States? Obviously, it's a big world and, you know, there's other issues around the world. But, you know, majority of the, you know, folks, I you could say, you know, the United States and the regulator, you know, the, the regulators here in the States set a precedent for others outside of the country. Um, and so what is your kind of opinion on the state of regulatory affairs as it relates to the type of assets? Are these, you know, we've seen them opine about Ethereum and about Bitcoin, about them not being securities, but there are still about 2000 different types of cryptocurrencies out there. You know, does Anchorage support other types of coins out there? Does it supply, does it support everyone out there? Um, or do you guys take an opinion on that? And uh, what is your kind of hot take on the regulatory state of state? Absolutely. So we, taking the last question first, we support, our goal is to support all crypto assets. We fundamentally believe that your custodian should not dictate your investment strategy. And what that means is that we're going to support all of the assets that our clients ask us of. Of course, we have a very robust asset framework internally by which we run every single one of these assets. And then we make judgment calls on whether these assets are, um, are technically, do we have, are they technically sound? Should we be custodying these assets in the first place? Do they have technical sound security features? We also run through the compliance frameworks and try to ask questions about the origin, about the team, about the support, about the ecosystem. So there is a framework that we use to decide which assets are supported, but by and large, your custodian should not dictate your investment strategy. And so we aim to support all of the assets. And in terms of regulation, I think you're absolutely right that um, the regulators have been very keen on listening and learning from us. And in fact, we've had relationships with the regulators in the space. Uh, we've been interacting with them for uh, over a year and a half, meeting with them constantly. 
uh, meeting with uh, with the folks over at the SEC, meeting with the folks over at FINRA, meeting with folks over at specific uh, states uh, regulators, and meeting with the folks at uh, CFTC and so on and so forth, because really creating these bridges and these relationships is what's going to help the space succeed. And right now, the state of regulation in our eyes is that there's still no clarity on exactly what a qualified custodian is. Right now, there's a couple of really good hypotheses out there, but there's still no qualified custodian that is under the jurisdiction of the SEC, which ultimately in our eyes is the right thing for the space. It is to have a regulated entity that is under the umbrella of the SEC and has been cleared by the SEC to operate as a qualified custodian for crypto assets. So that's something that the space is still waiting for and waiting for guidance and more clarity around what it actually means. And the reason for this is that there are some pretty hard questions there for which the current regulation doesn't quite meet or doesn't fit fit exactly, or at least for which we need interpretation of uh, how things should be handled. Uh, the good news is that for Anchorage, that we are following multiple paths and we are doing both the right thing from a security perspective and a technical perspective, but also the right thing from a regulatory perspective. And in fact, uh, our clients really enjoy interacting with us and understanding through us what's the state of the current regulation regime and all of the conversations that we've had with regulators. And we believe that there will be that guidance. I, I just don't think it might be as, um, as soon as people hope. Agreed. Um, and so <clears throat> one of the last things that we like to do on the show is to get to know you a little bit better. So as I've said many times before with guests is that there are two inputs that we put into our brains on a regular basis, what we read. And in terms of books, I think, as you can probably agree, you've been in this world for a while, too. Crypto people are pretty, pretty well read. Um, we have to read lots of different things, whether it's, you know, you know, things on finance, things on computer science, things on cryptography, it's it's multidisciplinary. So I'd love to hear what you've read over the last few weeks or months that has really resonated with you, that it's just stuck with you, that you've learned something really important from either crypto or non-crypto related. And then music. Um, what are you listening to when you're working, when you're traveling? Something, you know, that kind of tells us about your personality, like for instance, Jeremy from Casa the other day told us that he likes to listen to metal, which was uh, pretty surprising. And then other people tell us that they like to listen to music without words and a lot of electronic music. So we'd love to hear what you've read recently and then also what you're listening to. Absolutely. I think it's hard for me to uh, to choose a book. Um, I have a, a goal, personal goal every year of uh, attempting to reach the 50 books read, which roughly um, is roughly about one a week. Some years I've been having, I've had trouble with that. Some years uh, I've been able to, to succeed at this. I think one that I read re recently that was uh, very impactful was um, a book called uh, Age of Ambition. I think it was uh, Chasing Fortune, Truth and Faith in the New China. It really opened my eyes. It was a really interesting book. It was uh, written by a journalist that on and off lived in China for a period of 20 years and follows the stories of individual uh, individuals throughout the evolution of China over the past 20 years. And I really think it paints a unique picture and really nuanced picture of what modern China is and how we got here. So I really highly recommend this book because it was something of a little bit of an eye-opening experience for me. 
As far as uh, music goes, uh, one thing that it might not be a popular opinion, but I really like drum and bass. It's something that I've gotten from um, from my youth, and in fact, gotten to like from my sister. And one of my favorite uh, uh, my favorite bands is uh, a band called Pendulum, and so that's probably what you're going to hear me um, listen to if you uh, if you bump into me on the street. Nice. I used to be a DJ back in the day in another life, and so Goldie and some of the other DMV. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, the last thing that we like to do is, you know, uh, Diogo, you can kind of, if there's any place that people can learn, you know, if there's any family offices and high net worth folks that are listening, you know, if there's a place where they can go and learn a little bit more about Anchorage, uh, reach out to you guys, you know, feel free to drop uh, a link or, you know, Medium or Twitter or wherever you want to have people go and try to find more about you guys. Sounds good. Um, if you're interested in um, having a custodian that actually is safer than cold storage, has accessibility and allows you to participate in staking and all of these uh, asset productivity elements of new blockchains, make sure to go to anchorage.com. Awesome. Nice and nice and to the point. I love it. So this is Diogo Monica from Anchorage, a project and a company that you should definitely be checking out, especially for uh, security purposes and for storage, as Diogo mentioned. Diogo, thank you for joining us. And uh, hopefully we can have you on again in uh, about a year or a few months and if, or a year and uh, follow up and see how you guys are doing. Thanks a lot, Diogo. Thanks for having me, David. Have a good one. You too. This layer, this layer, this layer.